Good morning. So uh, it seems like I have my own set of announcements every week. <laughs> um, uh, so just be praying. I want to, as far as the focus dinner, that's a family thing. So we don't care if there's noise. So even if there is childcare, you want to bring your, your kid in, you can do that. So don't worry about that. We, we're praying the Lord will be able to provide the, the needed childcare workers. Um, this book is, I have about eight of them. This is the spiritual disciplines for the Christian life that the men are going through and the king's, the king's men on Monday night, one, the third Monday night of the month. And then the, the women are going to be going through that beginning the second Monday in February. So if you need this book, I have them up here. There's about eight of them. You can come get it from me. And I found out also that some of the youth are also going to be going through this book. So uh, it's, it's pretty all year. We're going to be asking the Lord to be... be uh, drawing us close to himself, hearing his voice, knowing what he's saying, really tuning into the Lord through the disciplines that he gives to us, which is the Bible, prayer, fellowship, and they're serving. There are a few of them in this book. So we'll be taking one, one a month and going through that, as I've probably said that already a few times. Uh, prayer things. You have those prayer cards on your, on your uh, chair. So if you, all through the month, this will be the last Sunday that we'll take them in, in our service. But as, I'm, uh, as we're going to the, today, if there's any prayer requests you have, you can put one, two, three, however many you want to put in. Put them in these bowls. They will be prayed over at least once a month, personally by a person, through that, throughout the year as you put them in there. The green ones are what we're going to... Are, these are my prayer, 2023. These are his answer, 2023. This is new this year, we thought. Because last year, and really the year, we've done this for many years, hearing what God is, how he's answered the prayers is also really important. And we know sometimes, but not most of the time. So this bowl is called our trumpet bowl. If you have something the Lord's done for you, answer to prayer, whatever, fill out one of these green cards, and we'll be communicating those things uh, as we go along this year. Okay? Also, uh, Wednesday night, we begin our, emphasis, our study in the book of Ephesians. So that's coming up this Wednesday, an introduction to that. We just got done uh, this week reading and praying through the book of Ephesians. So yesterday was Ephesians 6, so we prayed that through. Wednesday night, we went through Ephesians 3 or 4, whatever it was, 3, yeah. Anyway, February 22nd is the Jesus Movement film, the Jesus Revolution film. We're going to have church at the AMC Theater. We've sold out three theaters now, so we'll all be going there on Wednesday night to do that. And then on March 15th, I wanted to make you aware of this, on March 15th, John Noyes, who was here earlier, uh, was it last year? It seems like it's been forever, two years ago. He was here doing a whole thing on atheism, and it was fantastic. He, he's with Stand to Reason. He's going to come on March 15th and speak to not only the adults, but also our youth. And the title is Suicide and the Need for Hope. So that's a huge thing right now. So he's coming to speak to us about that. That would be March 15th, okay? So... With that, would you stand with me? Let's read uh, the text this morning. We're going to do a little responsive reading, and then we'll get into it. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, for we are confident we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Everyone said, Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. And so if you would read the second and even verses, I'll read the first and odd verses through Psalm 23. Many of us are very familiar with this. We've heard it many times. It fits with our study. The Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's also the chief shepherd of the sheep. He's also the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So, Lord, we are so thankful for that little six-verse passage that has meant so much every time we read it. The Lord is my shepherd. And we just can go through that and I shall not want. It makes me to lie down in green path. Lord, you are so good. And here in this passage this morning, the great shepherd of the sheep. We love you. We want to love you more. We want to serve you with a greater uh, zeal. We want to, Lord, be those that are proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We want to be living our lives in such a way that you can work in us and through us things that we would have never even imagined possible. So, Lord, take these things that we're going through this morning. Feed us. We're hungry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, the things that I prepared, I pray you break them now fresh and, and grant to us by your Holy Spirit the substance of the things that you want to speak to us and give us ears to hear, that we might humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that you might be able to do what you want to do. And I would pray, Lord, also, as we're individually part of the body of Christ, that you'd bless Calvary Chapel South, that we would be the body of Christ that's healthy and whole and growing. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the blessings you've poured out on us. Continue, Lord, please. Until that day when you come again and you are coming again and we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So bless this time in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this morning we come to the closing words of this absolutely amazing book called Hebrews. He says in verse 22, and I appeal, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. So although this book is one of the longer books in the New Testament, the author says it's brief. It's a few words, kind of like people that preach. <laughs> the writer wrote this as an exhortation, an encouragement to stay at it, to take these things to heart, to hear them, apply them, and by that, grow up as believers. We've studied five parenthetical warnings by being, ex we've been exhorted time and time again, very simple, get our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the great and forever high priest. Overall, the theme of this book is Jesus is better. Would you say amen to that? He is better than anything 
we could ever expect from anything else. And so he says, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. So to go back to our first study, just to capture, uh, cap this thing off, the author of Hebrews has been debated. Many believe that Paul wrote it. Others say, yes, Paul wrote it, but then Luke translated it into Greek. Now, these argue that most of the early church fathers held to this, that Hebrews has a Pauline style, that Paul was a Jew and a Pharisee. So who better, who is better equipped to warn Jewish believers to not fall away in the other warnings? And he does it with such a depth theologically. He has a fervor and a compassion for those to whom he's writing. These verses are given, these verses here are to get, they would say this supports a Pauline authorship. Paul was in prison. His beloved Timothy had been set free. Others suggest Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. Some say Barnabas is a candidate. He, Barnabas was a Levite. He, and, the, and in this, his, he was filled with Levitical rituals. And as one commentator wrote it, this is where I would land on this whole idea. Quote, this epistle, without introduction or subscription, is like the great high priest of whom it treats, who was without beginning of the days or end of years, abiding as high priest continually. So Griffith Thomas writes, it is entirely fitting that this book should remain anonymous, unquote. Now, I don't know where you land with that. If you're interested, go for it. But this book closes now with the grace of God. Eight times, he says, the grace of God be with you all. Amen. Now, eight times, we looked at this last week briefly. I think it's worth repeating just in understanding the brackets of the book. Eight times, beginning with in chapter 2, Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death for everyone. It's Jesus. He says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain grace. He says, do not, in the book, do not insult the spirit of grace. Do not fall short of the grace of God. Let us have grace. Let our hearts be established by grace. Let grace be with you all. Everyone said, amen. The grace of God. So just to get a running start now for these pass the, the closing passage, let it, we're going to talk about from Hebrews 12, if you have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, here it is, let us have grace, what? By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So he's saying, let us serve God acceptably. Chapter 13 is what that is. He's going to talk about that, that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. How to serve God acceptably? Last week, here's what we looked at. Number one, look to Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How? Love people with the same kindness and gentleness of Jesus. Love marriage with the same boundaries of honor and purity as Jesus. Learn within to be without. In other words, learn that Jesus is enough. Loving leadership that reflects the heart of Jesus. Learning sound doctrine occupied with the finished work of Jesus. And then living a sanctified life of sacrifice because of Jesus. So we looked at that last week. We also looked at these things about a sanctified life. Look to Jesus who suffered to sanctify your life through the cross. So his purpose in us is not just to save us. It's then to sanctify us for his purposes. How? Through the cross. 
A sanctified life bears his reproach. A sanctified life praises God sacrificially. A sanctified life thanks God sacrificially. A sanctified life does good and shares sacrificially. A sanctified life is pleasing to God. And I love this last one because it's such a a key thing. A A sanctified life is teachable. A, di- a disciple is a learner. So a, te- a, a, a sanctified is teachable. In other words, we understand the need to submit to God's authority and to learn, to understand God's, what it means to be submissive and what God means when he says, do these things I command you. Why God gave godly leadership is to understand that we still have a lot of things to learn. How many of you say you have a lot to learn? When it comes to, how can you plumb the depth? It's a learning thing all life long. In fact, I was just reading in Philippians because it came to mind. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, I'm pressing forward. He's not forgetting what God's done, but he's realizing I've got to go forward. I've got to keep learning. There's much more to learn in plumbing the depths of God's love, his mercy, his grace, his commandments, his reproofs, his rebukes. All those things are a part of the process of growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I say, Lord, help me to continue to be a learner, to obey, to understand how these things operate. So this morning, Look to Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd for our conscience, the great shepherd for our company, and the great shepherd for the covenant. He is our confidence, Jesus. He gives us one another. That's the body of Christ, believers. He makes us complete. Love it. He makes us complete. So pray for us. He begins in verse 18. Pray for us. He's asking for prayer, knowing how much he needs prayer. He's asking for prayer because it's vital to what God's doing in his life and through his life. In the Greek, this is the, the, in the present imperative. That says it all. It is imperative that we're praying in the present. It speaks of a continuous activity of prayer. This suggests that the recipients of this letter were doing just that. So when you're saying, would you please pray for me? When you're asking someone who you know prays, you're going, right on. I know they'll pray. He's saying, pray for me consistently. Jesus said, he spoke a parable and said, men are always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, if we're not praying, we're probably going to lose heart. It's so imperative. Watch, therefore, Jesus said, and pray always. Ephesians, we looked at this, we were praying this yesterday. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful this end for, then he says, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying. Thessalonians, you've heard it. Pray without ceasing. Colossians, we give thanks to, the, to, to God praying always for you. Now, I know you know this, I know this, but it's so important that we understand and back reminded again and again, we must be praying people, learning to pray. And I've said this before, I'll say it again because I, I, I want to say to you, this is so key for me. Saturday morning, the hour of prayer, there's about 20 of us that gather. It's the highlight of my life because I know when I go in that room, I'm going to be doing business with God. I'm going to be doing business with God. We bow our heads together as believers. We're doing business with God. He hears our prayers. 
When people came to mind, Paul loved to pray for them. Does that happen for you? When he remembered them, he prayed for them. When the early church had problems, they, they gave themselves continuing to prayer. Peter was in prison, but constant prayer was offered by the church. You also helping together in prayer for us to the Corinthians. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James. In 1 John, he says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. Important. In him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If we are praying the word of God, we are praying the will of God. So we pray the word. This past week, again, we, we prayed through Ephesians. I want to continue now. We have learned in Hebrews. What have we learned concerning this thing called prayer? Now, even though this word prayer or pray or hear pray and then later prayer, the only two times that word pops up in, in, in Hebrews. Even though that's it, I say to you, I rejoice to boldly say to you, listen, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help. That's prayer. Hebrews 8.1, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in the heavens. Jesus, that's him. In Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, he sat down at the right hand. Where, where, who are we praying? We're praying to Jesus who is exalted in heaven, our high, great high priest. We're praying to Jesus who's seated at the right hand. I mean, you can't get any higher than that far as someone overseeing and answering our prayers. Hebrews 6, 19, which enters the presence behind the veil. Jesus, who the four entered for us. We, in prayer, we're going right into the, in the heaven itself, the throne of God. So he says there in Hebrews 7, 19, there is the, be, there is the bringing of better hope through which we draw near to God. Hebrews emanates prayer. The aroma right out of the book of Hebrews all over the place. Because of Jesus. There is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Prayer. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brother, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, we come through the blood of Jesus, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Pray. It's prayer. The word supplications is found only one time in the book of Hebrews, but to, I want to remind you reverently of Hebrews chapter 5, where Jesus is in the garden. He's in the garden winning the battle for our, the salvation of our souls. It says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus praying. There, not my will, but your will be done. The word intercession is found one time in the book of Hebrews. I humbly remind you as myself, in heaven, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them, for you and for me. Jesus, prayer. Then he says in Hebrews 3, 13, 18, 
For we are confident we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. The writer is not asking for prayer about his relationship with God. That's not what the prayers are. He wrote this letter to them out of a deep personal understanding of all that Jesus had done for him and for us at the cross and through his resurrection and ascension. So he's no longer seeking a relationship with God through the law and all the things that he's warning about. He knows that through the law, it only exposes his true condition before a holy God. He's a sinner before God. None of the things of the law could reconcile him to God. So he's not writing about his relationship. He's writing about something else. Now, another interesting, interesting observation in the book of Hebrews is that the word guilt is not found. It's not there. But it is certainly inferred and clearly understood that sin condemns us as guilty before a holy God. The word sin appears in all but one chapter, chapter 6. Every other chapter has the word sin, transgression, whatever it might be, disobedience. Now again, I want to just go through Hebrews 1.3. When he had by himself purged our sins. Jesus purged our sins. Hebrews 2.17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus is God's substitute sacrifice for the whole world, the sin of the whole world. Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted to yet without sin. He lived a sinless life. Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hebrews 9.12, With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He dealt with sin conclusively and finally. 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to what? Serve the living God. Serving God acceptably through the blood of Christ. A clear conscience before God. He knew that. He had that. He lived it. Hebrews 9.26, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ is offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. I say, come Lord Jesus. Hebrews 10.5, therefore when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire but a body are prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice, what? For sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, how long? Forever, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and the lawless deeds I will remember no more. How, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left the crimson saying he washed it white as snow. Wow. He's not praying about his relationship with God. He's praying to be back in relationship and fellowship with the brothers. 
confident that we have a good conscience in all things. He understood that Jesus paid it all. Jesus took care of all of it. And through his blood, we have the remission of sins once for all, forever. I'm getting excited. So he says, hold fast the confidence of, and the rejoicing and the hope firmly. Hold, you hold fast to what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus finished, putting our faith in him. He says, we, for we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. There is no other hope. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. It's all Hebrews. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. There is no other confidence except for the writer here. His confidence was in his conscience before God because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. I, I pray, Lord, you've got you to take that deeper into my own life, my own conscience. It means that I'm living for Jesus and understanding what he's accomplished for me. And I'm living for Jesus, believing he accomplished it in me, every day and forever. He did that. It means I am believing God's forgiveness by living in God's forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Jesus is the confidence of my conscience before God and before man. God sent his son. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, all for me and you. We've come to him through the gospel. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled? It is so right that we be warned. Do not neglect do not harden your heart. Do not fall away. Do not draw back. Do not fall short. What more can he say than to you he has said? And the writer of Hebrews is amplifying these things and saying, here's the thing. Be warned. There are things that can, that can begin to derail us off of the foundation of God's word, what he's proclaimed to us, proved to us through Jesus Christ. And now he, he wants to do these things in our lives. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. And I say, Amen. <laughs> I sang that. He's the great shepherd also of our company. He gives us one of the, I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. He asked them to pray that he might be released and to be with them again in person. He's writing as one who is with them in spirit, but longing to be there with them in person. Because of COVID, there was a short time we did not meet. So we were thankful for the live stream. We are still thankful for the technology, but we've also learned what can happen through it. It's not the same. We'll never be the same as being together in person as God would desire. I remember a video in the Sunday service in an empty sanctuary here on Thursdays. And then watching the service from my office on Sunday. 
It was really different, to say the least. It was different watching in worship, in singing. It was a bit weird watching myself live stream. I am glad it didn't last long, at least for here. But I also remember how easy it was to get up, move around, leave my office, make a phone call while the service was going on. Now, I'm sure that doesn't happen when you're listening to me. <laughs> you see, you, what's going on right now, you can't do that unless you're in person. It's different. It's not the same. You see, this need we have is God-designed. This interpersonal interaction is not possible digitally. The greater pandemic is that an ever-increasing number of confessing Christians excuse themselves now from attending the public gathering where we worship, where we hear the word of God, where we pray, where we have fellowship. It's not the same when you're not here. Some of you are watching. I'm not trying to step on your toes at all. I know there are reasons some that are good ones. But Hebrews lays it out clearly. In chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together and so much more as we see that as a matter of some, but exhorting one another daily and so much more as you see the day approaching. He says, hold fast. I believe with all my heart, and I know it from personal experience, that to be together with believers causes my hope, my confession, to take a greater depth of anchor with people. He says in verse 26, which begins the fourth warning, of Hebrews in 10.26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which we devour as adversaries. In other words, when we're not in the regular company of believers, it gets easier and easier to sin willfully. There's something that happens in the interaction when we're together that puts us at least... A, a, a stop to it and think about it. Jesus said, where two or more gather, I mean, they're in the midst. I'm not saying he's not, he's not with you at home or whatever it is. What I'm saying is that he loves when there are just two or three, never mind more. There's a book called Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church, Participating Fully in the Body of Christ. This is written by the same guy that wrote that. He's got several books. I've read, I've done that one. I've done another one on family worship. They're all excellent, excellent books. But one of the, the first chapter in the spiritual disciplines within the church, why go to church? Why, do I, why go to church? That's a good question. I think it's a, a valid question. He gives several. I'll give you some here. Going to church helps prevent backsliding and apostasy. 
Going to church brings spiritual fellowship and encouragement. Going to church follows Jesus' example. Going to church is a testimony of support for God's work in the world. Going to church enables you to hear in person the preaching of the God's word. Going to church allows you to take the Lord's Supper. That is, how many of you here last Sunday, first service? Yeah, that is if we have the cups, okay? <laughs> we're going to have communion today. Going to church enables you to experience special blessings from God. He amplifies on all of these. Going to church helps prevent an unbalanced Christian life, and he has others. You see, it's different in person. You can't, know, you can't so readily tune out or turn away or get up and leave. That's by design, I think, with the Lord. Now, you also realize what you are missing. And it's a lot. It's a lot. The devil would like to come, and he did a pretty good job through this supposed pandemic of, of removing that thing called fellowship. Face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. Any teacher who, ha- who, who had to live stream his or her class, they will tell you how much they were missing, how much the students were missing. I officiated Jim and Erica's wedding in Hawaii. Many watched via live stream, but I want to tell you, it was not the same. Eighty-eight times in the New King James Version. One another, one another, one another. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's the, the most frequent, 20, 25% of the one another's are love. Love one another. Jesus said that. Love one another as I have loved you, as you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love what Jesus said that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In other words, love one another as I have loved you. And then you say, well, I'm not, I, I'm not loving like Jesus. Well, then you also love one another. In other words, you stay at it. You love. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Give preference to one another. Be the same mind toward one another. Receive one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You can't do that digitally. I'm not suggesting we do it here. So how are we going to love one another? Be kindly affectionate, give preference, have the same mind, receive, admonish, greet, kiss, eat with, bear with, care for, wait for, be kind to, forgive, teach, admonish one another. How are we going to do that unless we're together? It's the fullness and richness God intended for us as believers. Fellowship, being together. Another key passage for Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel South and Calvary Chapels, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayers together. The final thought is the great shepherd of the covenant, he makes us complete. Now may the God of peace, God makes you complete with his peace. Someone said, peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. (laughs) Let it sink in a little bit. That's the world's peace. No better description of the history of mankind falling and rebelling against God. It's peace only because everyone's reloading. Jesus continually spoke peace to people in his earthly ministry. 
to the sinful woman, fearful of being condemned, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To the sick woman, fearful of being rejected, he said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. To the sacred to the disciples, fearful of drowning at sea, he said, peace be still. He says to his fearful disciples, I leave, I leave peace. my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. Peace. To his disciples, peace be with you after his resurrection. Peace be with you. Peace be to you. God makes you complete with his peace. You cannot know the peace of God until you know peace with God. And so in Romans, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through whom also we have, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have, have access by faith in this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You cannot know the peace of God until you have peace with God through the gospel. And then we know in Philippians and Colossians that prayer brings the peace of God to bear in our lives. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. So let me, let me give you the five more, just as a simple little list. How does God make you complete? How does God make me complete? How does he work? Number one, well, one is he works with, he gives peace, he, he makes you complete with his peace. But then he makes you complete by his power who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has given to us the same power to live our lives for God to make us complete. He, God makes you complete through his promises, the everlasting covenant, the blood of the everlasting. His promises are complete and amen in Jesus Christ through the blood of Jesus. That covenant is ours and it's through his promises to us in the covenant. By that he makes us complete. So salvation past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Salvation present, we are being saved from the power of sin. Salvation future, we will yet be saved from the very presence of sin. And that's another amen, Lord. So be it. God makes you complete, number four, for his purposes to do his will. God makes you complete. To him be glory forever and ever. And God makes you complete with his blessing. I say amen. So this benediction is beautiful. We've received it several times in closing our studies in Hebrews. It's like the one that God gave to Moses in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. Now these are things God's speaking to us. He said, you tell Aaron to bless my people this way. So Aaron would bless the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's blessings. And they are such a powerful thing to, to just let the Lord speak into our lives these blessings. Romans, now may the God of, of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father, our Lord, the God of patience. Romans again, now, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, speaking that over to, speak that into our lives. We're going to be taking communion in a moment here. Speak these things into our lives as we're taking time. Lord, now may the God of peace, may the God of hope, may the God of patience. But then we have some other ones in, in Romans. Now to him who is able, 
Now, to, to is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret from the, since the world began. Now, to him who's able to establish you. I'm telling you, you, we put our faith in Christ again afresh. According to these blessings of God, is there a completing work that's going on? Would you say amen? Ephesians, now to him who's able to exceedingly abundantly of all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Lord, speak that into our lives. You're able. You can do it. Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Wow. And to present, this gets me. Check it out. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You talk about being complete. Wow. And one day, I'm going to stand before God, and Jesus is going to say, he's mine. He's mine. It's as though I never stumbled, even almost never. When I stand before him complete in Christ, he's going to present me, and you too, who put your faith in him, who brought up the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, He's the good shepherd who died for the sheep. He's the chief shepherd who's coming again for the sheep. He is the great shepherd who lives for the sheep. That great shepherd of our souls. This word, make you complete, in the Greek, it's an unfamiliar word to us, but to them, very familiar. Make you complete. To a fisherman, it meant to mend a broken net. To a doctor, it meant to set a broken bone. Make you complete. To a sailor, it meant to outfit a ship for a voyage. To a soldier, it meant to equip an army for battle, make you complete. God is mending our broken lives so we can become fishers of men. God is setting our broken bones so we can run the race with, race with endurance. God is put, outfitting our vessels so we might navigate every storm that rise against us. God is equipping us so we can fight the good fight of faith all for one purpose, to, will his, to do his will, to him be the glory. Amen. So as we're passing out the community, don't, don't start yet. Two steps backwards. Simon says two Because no. <laughs> I want to close here before we do that. He's working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. It does not say he's not working as it's below you or above you. He's not working on you or outside you. He's not working, it's working, he's working in you. And only God can do that. Work in you. Both the will and do what pleases him. And God is doing it. He's doing it. A mechanic was removing a cylinder head from the motor of a, of a Harley when he spotted a world-famous heart surgeon in his shop. The heart surgeon was waiting for the service manager to come take a look at his bike. The mechanic shouted across the garage, Hey, Doc, can I ask you a question? The famous surgeon, a bit surprised, walked over to the mechanic working on the motorcycle. The mechanic straightened up, wiping his hands on a rag, and asked, So, Doc, look at this engine. I also can open it up, take valves out, fix them, Put in new parts, and when I finish this work, when I finish, this will work just like a new one. So how come I get a pittance 
and you get the really big money. When you and I are basically doing the same work. The surgeon paused, smiled, and leaned over and whispered to the mechanic, try doing it while it's running. <laughs> That's what God's doing. Exactly. It's Philippians. Being confident of very thing that he who began the girt work in you will complete it, complete it, complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So as, there, as these emblems, as the passing out the cups, you may, yeah. And the worship team come out. Let's take these things to heart by faith in, in realizing that Jesus is it. He's it. He's everything. Thank you.